0: Welcome to Inside Economics, I'm Mark Sandy. I'm the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics and as, as usual, uh, I'm joined by Ryan Sweet, uh, Director of Real-Time Economics, so a lot to talk about with Ryan this week, uh, CPI came out, it was on the hot side, and we'll dig into that. And uh, Chris Dridis, Chris is the Deputy Chief Economist, and key to the color commentary we do here, so uh, it's good to have him aboard. And we have um, Mike. Mike Brisson. Mike is a uh, one of our colleagues uh, at uh, Moody's Analytics, and is uh, responsible for all things vehicle related. Uh, and so we're going to. That's the big topic this week: uh, the vehicle industry. A lot to talk about. Hey, Mike. I you know I I I don't know much about your background. Um, Tell us about yourself. How, how long have you been with us? And this is embarrassing because you've probably been with us for 20 years. <laughs> I don't know your background, <laughs> uh, but but how you've been 10 years or so?
1: That's uh, going on seven this year. Seven feels, feels seven like years. a long time, though.
0: Yeah. So, and just uh, how did you c- come to Moody's Analytics? You know, was it me? Did I draw you to Moody's Analytics? No. Okay. Uh, it
1: was uh, my wife got a job in Westchester, and I knew what Moody's was, and I was an economist, and I said I'm going to work there. So I applied. Twelve times, and I finally got in.
0: Is that right? Was it hard to get in? Oh, that's a good sign. A, yep. Yeah. Who'd you interview with? Did you interview with me? I don't remember the interview. No.
1: No. I, I interviewed yeah. with uh, Sophia. Sophia. And uh, Steve. Yeah,
0: Cocker. she's tough. She's tough.
1: She's really <laughs> tough. Yeah. You get no, I get past the, the recruiters. The uh, the computer recruiters. You got to get check all the boxes nowadays.
0: Oh, I see. I got it. Well, I'm glad you made it through. You, you're you're uh, you've been real uh, key to our work. Uh, on vehicle industry and residual prices and all those kinds of things, which we'll, we'll dig into a little bit deeper. Uh, where Did you work before you came to us or were you in school or? How, uh, I
1: got you? my PhD at Northeastern. So I was uh, teaching out there while getting my PhD. I also did some consulting work at Brookings. Um, and oh, then.
2: Cool. Over
0: to yeah. Moody's. I, I, you know what, for some reason I can't, do you guys visit, see Mike as a, as a professor. I just don't, I don't know. You, you think.
2: Mike is a professor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very oh, yeah? Hip, okay. hip professor. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah well, the, A uh, lot of kids at the professor. office hours. What's that? Oh, is that
1: right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and at, what, what what did you do at Brookings? what Do you remember the research you worked on?
1: Uh, yeah, we looked at the impacts of stimulus. So a lot of the same stuff that you do, we had a, a large oh. uh, macro model that looked at the impacts of stimulus and other uh, policy actions.
0: I did not know that. Brookings has a macro model. That they
1: it's not Brookings. It's uh, one of their uh, res- or fellows there, uh, Bill oh, Dickens. I so I worked with him.
0: Oh, he maintains a macro model, or did I guess? Yes. And yes. I see. Oh, interesting. I, I I had I didn't know that. That's interesting. Well, good. Well, w- welcome aboard. And um, as the the faithful listener of Inside Economics knows, there's three parts to the conversation. At some point, I, I won't have to say this. I don't think, but maybe, maybe for a few more times. But part one is. The indicators the statistics and uh, we're going to go through uh, our favorite statistic for the week we've called out a few statistics we're following regularly and I think we should uh, go back and talk about them as well part two is the big topic uh, the vehicle industry uh, a lot to talk about there uh, chip shortages and new and v- used vehicle prices and uh, pent-up demand and electric vehicles and I, I mean I can go on and on and on uh, I don't I don't know if the vehicle industry is, as key to the broader macro economy, it's not as it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. What was that old quote? Do you know the the, the old adage from the, the GM CEO?
1: As, as GM goes, America goes. Is that what it was?
0: I, I think that was, housed, it was testimony before Congress or something. And, and when he said that, it was probably in the 50s or 60s. It was, it was true, uh, very, very much true. Not so much anymore, but still very, very important, still very critical to what's going on. So that's the big topic. And then I'll and part three tied all together uh, for, for you. Okay. So with that, let's uh, dive right in. Uh, I I can sense where Ryan's going. uh, Although he might give us a head fake here. I don't know. Uh, What's your statistic of the week, Ryan? I
3: thought you were going to go with Chris first. I was going to. Okay. All right. uh, Okay. You need time. I know you
0: need time. You need time. You have to, you know, settle in a little bit and, you know, you look like you're in the shadows today. I don't know what's going on. You're, we can't see your face. I'm not sure what, what, Oh, is. I'm on oh, vacation. You're, you're at the beach. That's oh, Yeah, awesome. we're down the shore. Oh, I'm sorry. It's raining, isn't it? I apologize. Yeah, it is. So it's kind of gloomy here today. Sorry about
3: that. Yeah, nothing but else. this
2: podcast it, is a vacation,
0: right?
3: It is. Yeah, It's a nice little break. And I think the house we rented, like yeah. the lighting, there's like one light in every room. So it's like That's a very- That's
0: going on. Yep. Yeah. So uh, where we're at the beach are you? Are you? Oh, you told me, I think. Ocean City? Is that where you- Avalon,
3: are? New Jersey. Oh,
0: a- oh, Avalon's great. I love Avalon. Very nice-
3: it's Eight, a great little town.
0: Great little town, yeah. Um, okay, we're going with Chris first then. Uh, Chris, what's your statistic of the week? All right, my number's 80. Eight, zero. 80 on the nose? 80 on the nose,
2: 80.0. Yeah.
0: Mm, I know, Univers- Mish came in at 86. That's not it. Uh, you want to give no. us a hit? Oh, unless Ryan knows or, off the bat. Do you? Know Is
2: it within the
3: University of Michigan?
2: Nope. I actually okay. took a page out of the... Uh, the sweet book this week mm. and went for a statistic that is obscure.
0: Oh, <laughs> I like this. Well, then you have to give us a hint. And Mike, you can play it a lot how- too. It is
2: housing related. Oh, for, for my you should usual. have known
0: that. That's not the, uh, the uh, uh, survey they do. Who does it? NAHB, no, not NHB. Yeah, NAHB does a survey of traffic of, uh, through homes and the sentiment, the, the NHB sentiment index, no.
2: Oh, it is a sentiment index. It's not the NHAB. Oh, okay. Well, I, I don't you are on the track. No. Th- okay, all right. Yeah, it's the know. Fannie Mae home uh, home purchase oh. sentiment index. I
0: didn't know they had one.
2: That's they do. That's they did. They started in uh, 2019, so it's not very old, but uh, uh-huh. it gives us some interesting details. So it combines a number of different uh, factors. It's a it's a survey. All right. So they ask uh, folks how they feel about buying, selling conditions, home prices. Job prospects, mortgage rates, how, uh, yeah, home price expectations. Um, so eighty is uh, is pretty stable for this index. It's been pretty flat uh, throughout this year. But but, but really? what is really interesting, if you dig into the into the components, there's a section on whether or not it's a good time to buy. Uh-huh. Uh, at the moment, thirty only thirty five percent of the uh, respondents indicated that it's a good time to buy. Fifty six percent said it was a bad time to buy, and that's the first time. Those two lines have crossed. Ah, interesting. Uh, this cycle. So, to me, it indicates that there's a lot of buyer fatigue out there. People are getting mm-hmm. fed up, and that could have some mm-hmm. ramifications. Uh, take off some of the demand. Uh, that's yeah. Out
0: they're getting fed up with the higher house prices. Probably, it's just unaffordable even at these low mortgage rates.
2: Yeah, and also the inventory is so low that right you know, they're losing out on uh, bidding wars. You know, I think a lot of a lot of millennials are probably just deciding. You know what? I'm gonna enjoy the summer and uh, see what happens rather than keep trying to bid on a house that I'm not going to get. Right? Yeah, you so
0: this? you said 56% say bad time. Bad time. Th- 34% say good time. 35% say good time. 35, and this is the first time the bad time has been greater than the than the, 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 the good time. That's, That's a right. big swing. That's a huge that swing. That is a
2: huge it's, swing. Yeah. yeah. 20 points.
0: In one month. In one month. Is- one month, wow! Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. In April was uh, fifty-five.
0: That and it's that is right? So I, mean, I am seeing signs of kind of the market topping out, right? If you look at, uh, if you look at that that index I mentioned before uh, about buyer traffic uh, and, and builder sentiment, that definitely is. Well, it's still very, very high, but it has it's definitely leveled off and seems to be rolling over and I am hearing more anecdotes. So it is consistent, but that's a big swing. That's a good one. You see it
3: in Michigan as well. The university of Michigan consumer confidence survey has a question about plans of buying a home and it has cratered over the last three, Mm -hmm. six months. And it's at its lowest since I think the data goes back to, you know, the mid 1980s.
0: Ah, okay. So I'm, this is good for me to start thinking about buying a home then.
3: Oh. I think, yeah, because if everyone
0: else gives up, that's a good time to start thinking about buying. Oh, yeah. always a contrarian. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, come on. You don't want to really buy at the top of the market, right? I guess that's what people are thinking. This is the top of the market.
3: Yep. It's interesting. But we might be in that situation where you watch what people do, not what they say, yeah. because, I mean, I mean, existing home sales are still really strong. New home sales are strong. Mortgage they've, rolled over up- two, they've rolled
0: over too, though. They've two, softened, seven. but they're yeah. still, mm-hmm.
3: relative to what we saw most of the last expansion, are still rock solid. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That is interesting.
0: So I, that's, uh, so how many, is it, uh, who do they survey? Who does Fannie survey for that? Do you know, Chris? I mean, how many people do they survey? How big is Oh
2: that? gosh, I don't know. The, uh, you don't
0: know. Okay.
3: Was, All right. I I'm gonna remember. take a
0: look. But, I, I, didn't yeah, even I'll send,
3: you, I'll send you a link. Yeah, yeah. Send me
0: the link. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. That was, that's yeah. a really good one.
3: So you uh, and you have when Chris, one. When Chris Go goes off the rails, and an <laughs> obscure number, he gets a flying pass. When I pick one, you guys
0: just torch That's me. true. You know what? I didn't. I didn't realize that. But you're right. Mm. I, I do do that. I I am definitely biased. I'm anti-sweet. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was thinking we this this came from um so, so one of our other colleagues. Uh, he thinks we should uh invent a, a kind of game. Call it stump the sweet. Uh, I, I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> stump the sweet. We we may do something like that. Because you are damn good. I'll have to give it to you. Yeah, and we're that's gonna come the idea, issues, right. To say, that's yeah, that's why. the issue. You're damn damn good. Hey, hey, Mike! Before I go to you know uh, the prima donna, uh, can I? Uh, uh, do you have your? Do you have a good statistic? And, and I'm telling you, this better be good. This better be good.
1: Okay. I, go I was gonna go with a, a softball for Ryan. It'll be an under, underhand softball. Um, well, hold it! I learned last week. There's no such <laughs> thing as an overhand softball.
0: What are you talking about? There's only there's only an underhand softball.
2: See, he listens. Am I, am I wrong? Huh? He listens to the podcast.
0: Uh, yeah. Oh, is that what's going? Oh, is he joking? Was that sarcasm? <laughs> it oh, was. Oh my gosh, that was beautifully done. That was beautifully done. Right, he so- he put a dagger into my heart and I didn't even know he, it. He turned it. Oh my god. Oh man, I got to up my game here. Okay, I'm I'm prepared now. I came in thinking this is going to be easy. This is going to be this is going to be war. All right, go uh, ahead, we got
1: elbows.. Um, all, right, we so, got a... all right, so the number is 18.8 million. It,
0: 18, oh. is, it, is that the peak number of vehicle sales ever? 18 point8 8 million mm. monthly sales? No, nope. nope. You know, Chris. Plus. I got this one. It's got to go be ahead. the vehicle. vehicle space, I'm pretty sure. Uh, uh, all right go, oh, Chris, what is it? The,
2: I'm thinking uh, consumer credit.
0: Well, no. Mark was closer. Mike, 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 we're, we're, we're this is a what? podcast, Michael, uh, Mike, it's not a visual. You can't just shake yep. your head. <laughs> yes or
1: no.
2: Now I'm going to pick on you, you the entire time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Those <laughs> are my <laughs> hints to make you guys sound smarter. I'll, I'll shake my head. <laughs> exactly. Wasn't
2: it <the> G19? No? <laughs>
1: no, Mark was close. It's the uh, April revision of uh, seasonally adjusted annualized rate of vehicle sales in the U.S. Uh, well, I, but it's not I the get... all time high. So oh. uh, let, let's go this one further. Oh. So, when was the last time that vehicle sales were higher than April of 2021?
0: Okay, that probably was cla- cash for clunkers cash when points. we got 20.1 million or yep. something. No, okay, wait, 0% financing first time over 20 million units.
1: Nope. Nope. Farther oh. back. Really? 2005, July of 2005. Remember uh-huh. what happened then?
0: Oh, wait, July 2005? July 2005, something happened with the Red Sox. They probably lost to the Yankees, uh, hmm. you know, three times that month. July, <laughs> no, it was. July uh, two, the, don't tell us. Come okay. on, give us a break. Hold on one second. Just give us a little, little breather here. July 2005. Uh, I, you know what? I I don't know. What is it?
1: So the big three went in and said employee discounts for everyone, and everyone went out and bought new cars that month. So oh, it was really? the employee discount for everyone promotion back in 2005 if you remember that.
0: Why did they do that? Was
1: sales S- Sales were slumping.
0: Were they? Interesting. Huh, cuz 05 was a pretty good year for the economy yeah. as I recall. Yeah, huh.
1: like, uh, oil prices started to rise so sales started Oh, oh that sounds right. Sounds and then right. before that, I think this is an easy one. What was the this is the all-time high and it was the last highest before this.
0: 911 oh, uh, 0% discount. Uh, yeah i'm sure they did some major discounting maybe it wasn't zero percent financing but it was 9 11
1: related wasn't it yep october 2001 rally around the flag yeah everyone goes buys new cars because well you don't yeah. want to go fly and everyone wants to uh go, go out and get a new car so there weren't the promotions but everyone went out and bought a car that month
0: and i, I keep wanting to say 20 million it was 20 million wasn't it, it was wasn't like
1: 21 big? the season just oh was it 21 right? million okay yeah. fine
0: okay And typical is, what's trend? Because we're going to come back to this. Trend is is
1: 17 million, because that's where we were at the previous five years before 2020. Yep. Okay.
0: All right. Okay, Ryan, we're up to you. Uh, uh, What do you say? What's your statistic?
3: I thought everyone was going to go with something with the CPI, so I picked something outside of the CPI. No
0: way. Really? We can come back. I got another number for the CPI if you
3: want. So 2.7%. It's not CPI related
0: and it's not CPI related. Highest
3: highest since the inception of the data in the early 2000s.
0: Oh, that's got to go to JOLTS somehow. Mm-hmm. That's probably
3: you're, you're on you're on the track.
0: Yeah, JOLTS is job opening labor turnover survey and 2.7 is a, it's a rate. Is that the layoff rate?
3: Quits. quits. Quits
0: quits rate, quits rate. Yeah. So explain that. That's a good statistic.
3: So the quits rate is it just shows the uh, the percentage of people that are are quitting their, their jobs and it's jumped significantly over the last several months. And one, th- why I brought this up is one thing I wanted to you know bounce off you and Chris and, and Mike is uh, if you look at the quits rate and you look at revisions to job growth, when the quits rate is high, it seems like job growth is the initial estimates are overstated, which kind of makes sense. If you quit your job today, you, know, you may start work very, uh-huh. very quickly and you get counted twice. So when you look at the quits rate versus uh, future revisions to employment, it seems to be downward. down, 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 down. So, so I don't sure know. I mean, change? if you look at, if you yeah. look at just the sheer number of quits, it's, it's through the roof recently. So I don't know how big of an employment revision we're going to get.
0: Wow. Wow. That is mm-hmm. interesting. Very just interesting. food for thought. Yeah. Uh, how strong is that, that relationship between quits and revisions to the increase or change in, uh, in employment?
3: Well, we don't have a long history and that's yeah. kind of... Right. You know, limiting the amount that we can do, but you know, yeah. it passes the eyeball test.
0: Yeah. Hey, I, I'm not going to uh, play a game with you, but I, I just going off because enough fun in games here. Um, but the uh, at least for the time being, but the the jolts was you know, for May. The, uh was incredible, right? I mean, we had 9.3 million open positions, which shatters anything we've ever seen uh, before. I mean, I think pre-pandemic we were what hanging around six seven million at most Mm -hmm. you know something like that 9.3 million you mentioned the quits i I think they're as low as they've ever been if you look at layoffs they're as low as they've ever been um in hires if you look at hires they're as high as they have ever been uh close to six million hires so that jolt survey for may was just amazing And I guess it's good and bad, right? I mean, it's good, I mean, in the sense that, wow, we're off and running here, there's lots of jobs and we're gonna create a lot of jobs going forward. But I guess it's bad in the sense that it highlights the difficulty uh, the economy's having, getting going here on the other side of the pandemic, getting, you know turning on the lights and getting everyone back to work. Um, uh, Any other interpretation of that? The data is just amazing. Does that
2: suggest better matching that's going on?
0: How so? Better match
2: Well, with the quits, right? If you have higher quits. Then yeah. Did I say record low? I meant record high on the quits. Record high, yeah. yeah, yeah. record high on the quits. Uh, also consistent with this argument that people are waiting in unemployment, taking their time to select a job versus jumping. Yeah. Like maybe. Who knows?
0: Who knows?
3: Yeah. I mean, the only thing and with we know the, the, the yeah. JOLTS data is you got to take it with a grain of salt. The, uh, the response rate is very low relative to pre-pandemic they're still having oh, response. oh so you know dante and i you know one of our other colleagues were talking about this and it's like you know we're trying to have wrap our heads around you know nine plus million job openings and we're wondering how accurate the data really is that's interesting
0: It's same same problem with the with the bls employment survey too right the response Correct. rates are low yeah,
3: yeah at, so least, at least the first one the first response rate and then it picks up it does pick then up the second and third reports
0: right um, so I want to do two other things on the indicators before we dive into the vehicle numbers. Uh, maybe the first thing we should do before we jump into the CPI, cause that would be a nice segue into the, into vehicles is, uh, our, our indicators that we each picked to follow on a regular basis. So do you want to go first, Ryan?
3: Yeah. So All I picked right. the 10 year treasury yield Yeah. and it is down this week to 1.46%.
0: So explain that to me. I, I don't get it. What is going on?
3: So I was curious about this last night because yeah. you know we had, I don't, I wouldn't say it was a disappointing employment report for May, but then you get this hot CPI number, which right. normally would cause, you know, long-term rates to rise, but they actually fell. I think it's the Fed's uh, flexible average inflation targeting, which is the idea that the Fed will aim for slightly above target inflation in good times to make up for low inflation in bad times. Yeah, I think it's got all the credibility in the world with the bond market we are seeing all these big crazy swings in the CPI bond market saying, we believe the Fed that this is transitory and that we'll get, you know, through this without, you know, significant, you know, further acceleration in inflation.
0: Well, although you look at inflation expectations, they keep moving higher, right? I mean, if you look at our pulse inflation expectations index, it rose again last week to 2.3% on a con- core consumer expenditure deflator basis. So that's now, that feels pretty, like it's moving above what the Fed would even want under the AIT, the average inflation target. Yeah.
3: But you have five-year, five-year forwards, which I think, you know, that's driven by the bond market is, yeah. you know, they're they're still anchored. I mean, after the CPI report, they didn't even really budge. They didn't. Okay. And then you look at, um, you know, looking at OIS, you know, expectations for the tightening cycle. It's still pretty modest when you have inflation, you know, as strong as it's been, roughly 100 basis points over the next five years.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I when you see moves like the kind of moves we see in the bond market uh, that are like three, four, five, six basis points in a, a very short period of trading, I always go to more technical flow of yep. funds, kind of, you know, something is, else is going on that's not fundamentally related per se that's driving that. And I wonder, I can't think of what it would be, but.
3: Yeah, that's on you know. my things to do this weekend is look at the, the technical aspect of it, because I think. That is playing a role in it because of you know all the you know the ebbs and flows in issuance. Uh, there's a lot of technical factors that are, you know, basically going back to like the supply and demand of of treasuries, that could be distorting what's going on with the tenure right now. But yeah, all but- in all, I mean, it's at the low end of the range that we've seen over the last few months.
0: Yeah, I I know, and this is a key uh, variable for the outlook. I mean, on for lots of different things. I mean, housing growth, fiscal situation. Fiscal policy, monetary policy. I mean, so it's, you know, it, it's, it's not yet. I wouldn't say it's the ten years not skipped, uh, sticking to our sc- uh, forecast script. Not yet, but another month or two. If it stays this low, then I, I don't know. That that means things aren't kind of sticking to where we think they're headed.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't probably. I wouldn't make a big change to the forecast yet, because it's going to take a catalyst, and then yeah. that's going to put it on track with our forecast. And that catalyst is going to be the Fed debating okay, bring their asset purchases, okay, which is coming so soon.
0: It's coming soon. Okay, fair enough. Okay, we'll wait for do you that. Think these,
2: do you think this is uh, foreign investors? We're swinging things around? We should and check Japanese that out. out. It's
3: possible. I, I got to look.
0: I mean, intuitively, that, that makes sense, right? I'm a German insurance company. I'm still only getting negative, whatever, 15 basis points on a 10-year German bund, 1.5% on the US Treasury, even with the currency risk, looks pretty attractive. So maybe maybe that's a lid on US long-term rates. So right. we, we should be able to see that in the data. So maybe, maybe take a look, Ryan, I'd be really curious. See what's going on there, yeah. This Chris, what, what, what's your statistic? Uh, what, what do you follow regularly? Uh, weekly
2: unemployment insurance claims. Right. <clears throat> it comes out th- Thursday morning. Uh, this week it was uh, 376,000, down from 385,000 last week. So it continues to improve. Uh, you know, moving in the right direction, two hundred and fifty to three hundred is kind of normal. So still above, but he, he keeps
0: saying to... that. Ryan, is that right? I mean, that wasn't that wasn't what we that's were. That's not thinking. your number. No. Well, it wasn't pre-pandemic. I mean,
2: I think we were low pre-pandemic, right? We
0: Well, we would say if it got to two hundred and fifty, that would be a, a signaling a problem in the economy. What do? You, but that that's a function of. Can't quite remember that. That's not. That changes what that kind of threshold is.
3: Yeah, some flows throughout the business cycle. Uh, yeah. You know, I think 250 to 300 was a good rule of thumb for a long period of time. Uh, Usually, once you get it above 300, you know, there's signs uh, there's problems in the job market. But instead of using that, uh, you know, rule of thumb, what we do is we calculate the break even level of jobless claims. In other words, what's the level of jobless claims consistent with no monthly job growth? Right. And then that kind of gives you, you know, as we get closer to that you know, uh, you know, line in the sand. We know that there's some problems developing in the job market when job growth is slowing. The issue is that, you know, I tried up, I updated this last week and the numbers just with the pandemic and all the volatility. It's hard to it's, know. It's, it's hard to read, like yeah. separating the signal from the noise is nearly impossible.
0: Well, well, I guess the bottom line is it's moving, definitely moving in the right direction. So. Yeah, it's about
3: the trend right now, right? Yeah.
0: I hey, would say I, low I, 200s is normal. You, you, well, okay, okay. So you say a full employment, rip-roaring economy, life is good, 225
3: per week? Yeah. Yeah. 200
0: to 225. 200. I, mean,
3: 215. 200 I like a range. I like ranges. You give me some wiggle room. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. But it's it's
0: not 200 to 250. It's 200 to 225. Probably. You know, something yep. like that. Okay. Well, let's keep that in mind you know, going forward. Chris doesn't yeah, I, seem convinced. I, I, I read, and I'm, I'm not sure I read this, uh I, th- I think it was a you know a pretty good anal- uh from a pretty good source that a-, a big part of the UI is now related to fraud. Is that possible? I mean, I know fraud has played a role, but do we have any sense of how big a role it's played? Have you seen any studies come out? I I, I missed it if that one did come out on
2: this. No? I've you heard anecdotes, but uh, okay. I
0: haven't All right. seen anything. Okay. I mean, I read
3: the, the GAO report. Uh, the Government Accountability Office, uh, but mm-hmm. this was, you know, several months ago. Yeah, right. I mean, fraud is a problem. Uh, you can see that in the Ohio unemployment insurance numbers. Uh, you, when you, uh, you know, they had big swings, and a lot of it was attributed to uh, fraud. Once they got their system locked down and figured out, jobless claims in in Ohio like quickly headed south. Right, but I, but I think I, I read the same number. They were saying like half of UI benefits were. Uh, fraud. I think that that's way too high.
1: Yeah, that's what I that's what I heard.
0: That's, what that's I heard.
3: enormous. That sounds wrong. Yeah,
1: okay. I know you guys like the data, but I like anecdotes a little bit better. At my house, I have received a hey, who, who invited insurance. him
0: on this podcast?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I received a unemployment insurance uh, application, and someone filed it at my address, saying that they had they lived at my address and that they were unemployed. So, oh, is that right? Yes. So, I
0: had How, you resolve that issue? Would I throw it you? away? Oh, there you go. <laughs> <Solved>
2: that <problem. laughs> That's
0: some, somebody else's problem. Uh, I okay.
1: Bigger, I got bigger yeah. fish to fry.
0: I got bigger, <laughs> I got, uh, I got my own problems. Yes. Yeah. I can't solve the UI system's problem. <laughs> yep. okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. My, mine uh, uh, statistic, the one we keep going back to is copper prices, Dr. Copper no change $4 and 50 cents a pound, which is still consistent with a, you know, strong global economy and uh, elevated inflationary pressures. Remember, $3 a pound is typical in a typical economy, two is uh, dollars a pound would be in a tough economy where we were a year ago. $4, anything above $4, that's a, you know, it's indicative of a a economy that's operating hot, Um, certainly in the and on trade and, and on uh, production. So that's still, still very hot. Okay. Uh, well, let we, you know, uh, we didn't do this, so we got to do it. Uh, CPI consumer prices and congratulations, Ryan, as I recall, the, tell me if I'm wrong, but this consensus was for a increase in the overall and core CPI consumer price index of uh, 0.4 percentage points, 0. 0.4. I think that translates into about a three and a half percent year over year growth rate, which is, you know, obviously strong. Uh, and you were expecting a 0.6 percentage point increase in the month. And that's what we got 0.6. Right? Yep. Yeah.
3: And yeah, the one surprise was the core. I thought, and I missed on that. Cause I thought uh, energy was going to be neutral for the CPI in May, but it ended up, you know, being a slight drag, but you know, it was, all the usual suspects, at least for the last few months, it's the reopening of the economy, which added a 10th of a percentage point to the CPI. And what we include in our reopening of, of the economy CPI basket is uh, rental car prices, sporting emissions, like movie theater admissions, mm-hmm. uh, lodging away from home, that's hotels, motels. Um, and I think there's another one that I'm-, I'm Airline tickets? I'm sorry? You put airline tickets? Yep, yeah, airfares, thank you, Chris. Uh, so that added only a tenth, which isn't a lot. But then when you look at this other transitory factor, the you know global semiconductor shortage, driving vehicle prices nuts used in new car prices added three tenths of a percentage point. So add up these two transitory factors, reopening the economy, uh, auto issues, that's four tenths of the six percent or point six percent increase in the CPI was transitory.
0: So Stripping out these so called one off transitory effects, were at 0.2, you annualize yep. that. That's, I don't know, 2.4%, 2.5%. Uh, that's on the CPI. So that's exactly where you'd want to see it.
3: Correct. That, that, that exactly. would be your
0: interpretation of the data. I and mean, that's the, what the yep. bond market was, at least.
3: That's what, the, yeah, exactly. And okay. I mean, if you look at where all the strength in the CPI is, it's in the most volatile components of the CPI. So again, if you're the fed you're trying to separate signal from noise and they're getting a ton of noise so i think that's why you know the bond market's you know comfortable with the fed's you know sitting tight for now because you know the sticky price atlanta fed index is or measure of, of cpi isn't going anywhere so you know, again we have a little bit of demand pull but a lot of cost push inflation right now and cost push typically is transitory transitory
0: that actually that's a great way of thinking about it that's a great way of articulating it um the the only thing i and of course, I think our very first podcast was around inflation, and we 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 actually uh, per, uh, came up with our own forecast, right? I you mm-hmm. were on the low side, Chris was always in the middle, like he always is in the middle, and I'm I was on the high side
3: over uh, the next five
0: years. Yeah, of course.
2: Over the, right. and
0: someone wrote down this. We have a bet, I believe, a dollar bet or something. We do
3: Well, it's It's recorded, right?
0: Oh, right. Oh, yeah, right. Always go go back. Write it down. We can go back to
3: just listen. (laughs) That's the danger of this podcast, that we can always go back and...
0: So are you sticking to that forecast, given what's going on here? You still feel pretty good about it? Because here's the thing that I I would say about that. Yeah, it's 0.2, stripping out the one-time effects. That's 2.5%. That's kind of right down the strike zone. But that's now coming out of a Mm -hmm. recession with 5.8% unemployment. What does that mean about what the state of the world is going to look like a year from now or two years from now given all the job growth that's dead ahead of us and the fallen unemployment you you're not you're not concerned about that or you are but you still you haven't changed your forecast
3: no i think i'm a little i think the Ooh. recent data is starting to you were going to uh, say i'm no, a little I'm not getting, low i'm a little <laughs> ah, low but i'm not
0: he, oh, i'm not
3: zandy he's high
0: caving. he's caving no no okay. i'm
3: wavering it's okay. coming to my <laughs> Hey, what's the, who said it when the facts change, you, you know, your opinions change? I think that was Keynes. Kane. Keynes. And then, right. uh, so.
0: then uh, Tommy Lasorda. No, I don't, I'm not sure. No, who's the Yogi Berra? <laughs> Yogi Berra.
2: Who yeah. says everything apparently.
3: Yeah, right. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my forecast might change for the next year or two, but longer, like once you get into years three and four and five of our bet, I'm betting on the low side.
0: All right. Okay. You heard it. He's got this demographic. uh, He's got this demographic thing going. Uh, okay. Uh, anything else on, I'm going to come back to car prices. Just a second, Mike, hold on a second. Um, anything else other than car price vehicle prices that you want to talk about on the CPI that we should know about anything, learn anything else about what's going on? No.
3: Well, some of the things that were hot in April, like lodging away from home, they started to moderate. So I think, again, this is, gets back to this transitory. You get this big boost in some components and then it begins to fade pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. I think the key to the one of the keys to the longer run inflation outlook is, is what happens with the cost of shelter, housing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that feels like that could be a real uh, supercharger to underlying inflation. That's sticky, obviously.
3: So it's tough, that gets yeah. going.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, because, you know, vacancy rates are very, very low and uh, feels like that might become more of an issue, you know, going forward. All right, let's turn to vehicle prices. Hey, Mike, so uh, what in the world is going on? They, uh, Ryan, what percent, what of the six tenths of a percent, how much of that was due to vehicle prices new and existing and new and uh, used? Uh, three tenths. Three, half of the increase in yeah. the CPI in the month of May was due to vehicle prices. What What is going on, Mike? What's going on there?
1: So there's two separate things going on. So vehicle prices were up 50% higher than they were May a year ago. And so about half of that growth took place in the summer of 2020, where people stopped using public transportation, uh, they bought these COVID cars, so there's a large demand for these used cars. So about half of your growth came right there. But the more recent growth, that's really from that semiconductor issue, where the lack of semiconductor chips has uh, made there be a restriction on the number of new vehicles available. So and without those new vehicles available, dealers start bidding up prices and the wholesale market, then those... Uh, prices get passed down through to the retail market. Uh, The BLS survey, um, for CPI, they use um, the same data that we use for our Moody's analytics used car price index, and that is the wholesale numbers. So there might be a little bit of a difference between the wholesale and the retail numbers. Uh, One reason for that is the Uh, Leases can come in and the dealership can buy back that lease at the price, or you can buy back your own lease at the contract price. And so you'll get it for cheaper than what the wholesale price is right now. A reason that you wouldn't just take that vehicle and say, oh, let's bring it back to the wholesale market because wholesale prices are less than retail is you you want that repeat business. Uh, you have F and I finance and insurance, and you also have parts and labor on the service side that you can charge costs on. So there's other profit avenues that these dealerships really want to hit. So they want to sell that car even more than making a little bit more profit if they go back to the wholesale market. So there's there's a number of different things going on here, uh, but uh, the, what, I, what we're so looking at it, is wholesale.
0: So so in my simplistic way of thinking about things, it's it's what you're saying is demand and supply, duh, right? Demand is up. Because uh, the COVID effects, particularly for used vehicles, obviously, the new market, vehicle market got hit hard last year. It's coming back now, but it's really, I'm going to buy a used car as opposed to a a new car. So it's demand, and now it's supply because, uh, well, the most obvious thing, and I'm sure there are other things, but the most obvious thing is the global chip shortage. That's having an impact. So it's those two things coming, conflating, coming together, demand, supply, higher price. That's what's going on.
1: Exactly. And it was okay. a huge bump in demand from the stimulus payment um, that you can get a down payment on a new car. You can go purchase a used car and the, the demand for goods continues to outstrip the demand for services because of the, the nature of uh, the virus.
0: And there's no inventory out there, right? I mean, that, right? I mean, I think you told me you went into – are you yeah. looking for a car or were you just doing more anecdotal –
1: I, I was doing more anecdotal. And so I, I walked into four yeah. different dealerships and I looked to see what they had. And I for a test drive. And I couldn't get a SUV. I couldn't get anything with three seats. I couldn't get any vans. So the only thing they could show me were sedans. And I asked when I could get a SUV and four different dealerships for major uh, OEMs, original equipment manufacturers. They all said, Oh, we'll probably get a delivery at the end of the month. Uh, um, okay. So there's, there's real tightness in supply out there. You look at the uh, BLS or the BEA numbers on inventory, they're down to 3 million cars available across BEA the whole country.
0: BEA Bureau of Economic Analysis. Just yep. you know, spell so out those the,
1: acronyms. Yep. A, a, yeah, April was 3 million vehicles. So April of 2019, there was 7 million vehicles in inventories. So it's less than half the inventories available across the country than two years ago.
3: Huh. I did not know this was about Mike. He takes his job very seriously. He's like undercover economist over there. I know. He's going I mean, into I'm, dealerships.
0: I'm thinking <laughs> what else we can send him into to learn more things. Maybe you should get him to go buy a home or something. Um,
1: uh, the way I look at the adults, I just drive down the street and see how many signs are outside.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be a good way of doing it. Yeah. Hey, so, so do you buy into Ryan's, Kind of sanguine view that this is transitory and you know supply side effects going to fade don't worry about it um you know a few months down the road are you in his camp on this part uh, of using vehicle using used vehicle new,
1: prices yeah. i was not in his camp uh in december i would tell the story that oh we prices are sticky about 20 percent above uh, in 2000 from 2011 to 2000 and uh, Fourteen, they rose by 30% and never came down. Uh, but this time, this supply chip issue, I am thinking that it's transitory. Prices are going to come down as supply comes back onto the market. I, I don't think that this gain of 50% over where they were is reasonable. And I don't think it's supportable by uh, f- what future demand is going to be once more vehicles start being well, pushed off the presum- lots. Presumably, the
0: prices are going to decline, right? Yes. I mean, okay, so at, at some point, what? This fall, late this year, certainly by this time next year, we're going to see a pretty sizable decline in vehicle prices?
1: Yes, I'm forecasting okay. about 15% right now. I think that's conservative. Uh, uh, and uh, prices, according to our uh, Moody's Analytics, use vehicle price index, our weekly index, prices already peaked the third week of May. So they're already starting to come down a little bit oh. in the weekly data.
0: So it, now that you bring that up, just quickly tell us how you construct, what do you do to construct that index?
1: So we use, we, we create a hedonic index that controls for mileage, price. Hedonic being? Hedonic as in we are able to see what each vehicle sold for. So individual vehicle sales, and mm-hmm. we're able to control for Uh, the uh, make, model, the Mm -hmm. uh, subsegment, the fuel type, the body type, the mileage, and we control for all that. And you kind of take the residuals off of that. And then that's really the movement in prices is that residuals once you control for all those other factors. And so that's a a moving window over time to uh, really see what's going on with just what's going on with prices. But that also doesn't control for inflation. We do have a Valuation Index that controls for inflation by using MSRP. Uh, so that value, our Woods Analytics Valuation Index controls for uh, the um, increases in price or costs to the manufacturers through uh, controlling for the MSRP of the vehicles that sold in each transaction.
0: Okay. So, so based on the transaction level, you're looking at the car level data and yeah. you're aggregating up controlling for the... The attributes of the vehicle, uh, and after you control for it, you can get a sense of what's happening with price. Yeah, by the way, be. by the way, that's that so-called would you call hedonic pricing, which, which is what you're using. That that is what the Bureau of Labor Statistics uses for lots of different products and services, right? They yes. You know, in the CPI, they control for uh, the let's call it quality of the product or service that they're
1: buying to get to the well, underlying price. Well, the CPI for Vehicles they do control for quality, they do it so it's uh, more similar to our valuation index. Whereas our uh, price index is more similar to the Mannheim because we really just care where prices are going, we do care about price inflation in that sales price index. Both indexes right now are moving up because the MSRPs aren't moving up and the, the cost of goods aren't really moving hey, up. for-
0: Let me ask you a question so uh, you know, I, I've started leasing cars, I which I find you know, every three years I get a new new car, right? My wife gets a new car, so. Uh, one of the leases is coming up in the next 2 3 months what what's your advice on on this what how should i be thinking about this buy it so this is this is called personal <laughs> investment advice yeah buy it i should buy, buy it, it buy
1: it buy it at the contract price resell okay. it and then get another lease
0: that's what i should do i can make a pretty penny or, or, or can i squeeze the the uh dealership and say hey you really want me to do this can't you just give me a lower price on the new lease can i just say that they won't do that
1: depends on your negotiating skills.
0: Oh, really? That's pretty bad. <laughs> but it sounds like you're pretty good at it. Could you come with me? <laughs> you think about it?
1: As long as you're COVID careful. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I, I might do that. I might have you come along. Maybe you can help me out. Or, or are you, are you a good buyer? You know what you're doing when, when you, when you go to... I've
1: walked out of my fair share of negotiations.
0: Oh, you have. Okay. <laughs> that, that's a good sign. All right. All right. Um, Where were we going to go? Oh, I was going to ask, uh, we should uh, talk about vehicle sales Uh, and just to uh, frame it. um, When I talk about vehicle sales, I usually write, my mind goes immediately to new vehicle sales as opposed to used vehicle sales because new vehicle sales are, you provides the juice to economic growth. I mean, used on the margin, uh, but it's a used car because you just produced it. And that's, that's, GDP—that's growth—that's you know—that drives uh, economic activity and jobs, uh, more so than used vehicles. It, last year in the pandemic, 2020 calendar year, we sold, I think it was 14.4 million, right? I think it was yep. something like that. Yep. And and as uh, as we just discussed a minute ago, trend level of sales. And when I say trend. That abstracts from the vagaries of the economy, the ups and downs in the economy, the business cycle, what's going on in the economy. It just goes to demographics, age distribution, relative cost of driving a car, you know, those kinds of things. Is about 17 million units. So if you do the so-called back of the envelope calculation, which economists are pretty good at, and you know, which I practice, you know, quite regularly, that means if I can do the arithmetic right, you know, we're down what. million units, and we should get those 2.6 million units back at some point here in the future. Is that, am I thinking about that right? Is that how you think about uh, vehicle sales and the outlook for vehicle sales?
1: It's not. So I don't think that we ever really come out of a recession where we regain all of those lost units from trend. Looking back at I think data goes back to 1976 for the series, and every time we have a recession it goes significantly down, it comes up, but it never really gets higher than the, the previous trend that it was at. And my theory on this is we, we lose all of those miles driven. and the function of new cars is how many miles you get from it And every So the way I buy a car, I'll, I'll drive it for 10 years, 150,000 miles, and then maintenance outweighs the cost of getting a new car and then I'll buy a new car. And so if, until I get to that 150 miles, since mileage just runs through cars more, it's more important to cars than age, then if you sit on this car for a year, so imagine this last pandemic where you didn't drive for a year, I basically have an extra year. So now I'll have a car for 11 years, 150,000 miles. And so I didn't need to go buy a car for another year. And so once you lose those miles and every recession mileage comes down, and that means that the number of new cars needed recedes from that previous trend.
0: That's interesting. Uh, very interesting. Um, but what does it mean in terms of the numbers? So 2.6, if you just, by the way, that 2.6 million uh, people who are listening may have heard the term pent up demand. That's pent up demand. That's what that is. If the, the level of sales is below that trend level, consistent with demographics and income and wealth and driving costs, everything else, that's the pent up demand that needs to get unleashed. And you're saying, well, okay, I, you're, you're not saying you don't buy into that framework. You're just saying I'm, there's a missing variable here. And the missing variable is in the recession. I'm driving less, and therefore that's going to uh, reduce the pent up demand that I have by some amount. How much yes. is that? So, and by the way, I have I have I retort to what you just said. Oh, sure uh, you do. Okay, but and I'll come back to that. <laughs> but but how is this a big deal? So of the 2.6 million in pent up demand, the kind of the simplistic back of the envelope, how much do I subtract because of this?
1: Uh, this, let's uh, say phenomena. the number of miles were down 15% uh, last year from, pre-re- from pre-recession from pre levels. So 15% of, let's say, 17 million is 2.5 million.
0: Oh, 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 my gosh. So you're saying there is no pinup up demand? We're not getting anything back?
1: I think that there is – a boom because of the stimulus Ooh. and raised incomes. I feel but I don't a bet know.
0: coming on. <laughs> I feel a bet a bet be, is coming on. Okay. I bet we don't You're get any year me, over
1: eighteen million. I'll bet you that.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not fair. That's not right. That's not right. Now, no, you what you just said to me was there's no pent up demand. So therefore we should be going back to seventeen million units. No more than seventeen
1: million units on average. Well let's no, we'll be at seventeen we'll be at seventeen exactly this year. Okay. and I think we go up to 174 next year.
0: Okay so there is some pent-up demand. It's not exactly
1: two or just you could think of it like a business cycle where you start to get a little bit higher and then you have a couple of years that are lower.
0: see he's so crafty I don't know how to pin him down what's what 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 he talking about So okay we is trend 144 million we sold that's 2.6 million in pent-up demand. You just told me two and a half million of that is. Uh, not coming back because of the reduction in driving during the pandemic. So that means to me that going forward, we should still be 17 million units, you know, going forward. There's no 17 and a half million. Units.
1: I'll take the five-year bet like Ryan. I bet we average 17 million over the next five years.
0: How, how about if we do three years? Because that, I mean, you want to say five years? It's going to all work out in a five-year period? Okay. Uh, all right. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, but interesting. Well, here, l- let me... Let me tell you the the counter to that you know you you the thing you just explained is which is intuitive actually. I hadn't thought about it. It's kind of interesting. I have to think about that because I'm sure it plays something of a role. Uh, is that uh, the reason you observe uh, fewer sales than coming out of the recession in the recovery than what you lost in the recession, you don't get all that pent-up demand back is because invariably, before the recession you have what i would call spent up demand you have a period extended period of sales that are above trend and so therefore you have to work down that spent up demand before you actually get to the pent up demand does that make sense am i making any sense at all but the <laughs> pandemic is different because we didn't come in at least i don't think we did came into come into the pandemic with Spent up demand. The level of sales was roughly consistent with where you'd expect them to be. Maybe a little higher, but not a lot higher. What do you think of that?
1: Uh, that logic. I think this is a good experiment to test that. Uh, I would say going into 2007, he's that would
0: he's good. When- he's good. He's good. That was a great answer. That was a great answer. Okay, <laughs> but, but keep
1: going. I, I I would think that 2007 would be an example of maybe spent up demand because the. Vehicles were being purchased at a rate of 16.5 million going into the recession, and then it started to come down in 2008. But if you consider a trend to be 16 or 15, 8 at the time, then there was a little bit of spent-up demand before that, and that's why we didn't get even half of what you would consider, a, even a 16 million trend going out over the next five, six years. We never. It took us five years to get back to the pre one month of the pre-pandemic level, let alone coming above it for a significant amount of time. So we didn't, even cash for clunkers, we only got above 14 million seasonally adjusted annualized rate. And we were above 16 going into the 2009 recession.
0: Okay, Brad, let's let's just just, just have a bet. So next five years, what do you think uh, average annual vehicle sales will be? 17.2.
1: 17.2. Seventeen point two, just because of rising population. I think. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, a that low. makes
0: sense. That makes sense. And you're also saying we are we also lost some sales. I didn't ask you this, but I'm making a statement. You tell me if you disagree. That we, we're going to lose some sales because of the chip shortage. So we got to get those back, right? So there's got to be a little bit of a lift from that.
1: Yeah, I'm sure right. people want to hear about that. We're, yeah, we're so how, off,
0: what's now? your number? How much? How much are we taking off because of the chip shortage?
1: We've knocked off seven hundred and seventy thousand sales from this year that would have happened uh, without the chip shortage.
0: And so what's the average annual growth sales level for 2021, do you remember? I think it's probably south of 17 million. It's over. a 16.9, 17,
1: it always okay. ends up at 17. Yeah.
0: yeah, it always ends up at 17. <laughs> okay, well you take 17.2, I'll take 17.7.
1: Okay. Price is right rules.
0: Cause that's you know, 500, that's $500,000, 500,000 unit difference times five, that's 2.5 million. That's pent up demand. OK, so OK. All right. Hey, oh, you don't need to write it down. It, this is enshrined in podcast history. OK, very good. Um, that was That's very interesting, though. You make a great point about that. I have to think about that more deeply um, in terms of uh, the, the amount of uh, it's just that's not my experience because I, I buy cars every I get a lease every three years. Right. It doesn't really matter how, many, how oh much life. I drive. Well, not every right. I'm different. I'm different. I'm different. I know I'm,
2: I'm different um, to that point. Just if I can ask real, real quick, uh, does uh, work from home factor into this at all? If we're ah, driving less on average, I, I'm Boy, keeping a close be...
1: eye on it. On the, on the miles driven, it comes out about two and a half months legged. So,
0: ooh, that could be according to Mike's theory, a big problem. I could bring it
3: down. Yeah, I could bring good for it down.
1: Though,
3: and a bigger can... issue would be demographics. Baby boomers. Uh, were see, getting... He it
0: always goes back to the this whole demographic thing. Come on. No, never mind. Go ahead. You just you Go don't down. want to we
3: graphics is destiny. You're... We just had a whole yeah, <laughs> podcast on it.
0: <laughs> Over a 10-year period. Yeah. <laughs>
3: okay. But in the next five years, we have a, a tremendous number of baby boomers that are going to be in, entering their 80s. So so, the, the,
0: so you're saying that even that's even more of a drag on vehicles. Correct. Yeah, I, I think if though if you look at the the driving age population, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, I I, I can't remember, but I thought that was pretty stable, you know, throughout the, the next five years. 10 years, I, I think. It is, yes. Yeah, it's pretty stable. Yep. Okay. But but of course, the other thing is the relative okay. cost of gasoline. I, I Presumably that matters, right? I mean, so, but we're assuming that's constant over time. I,
1: I and, guess. and the driving age population we look at is 15 to 65. So apologies. Yeah, right. To anyone that's uh, over 65, oh, really? I know you're still driving out there.
2: Yeah. You might be understating. You might be understating. I
1: know. Yeah. yeah.
0: I'm sure he factored that in, though. Sounds like he did. Uh, okay. So we're, we're getting short on time. There's a lot of different things to talk about. Maybe quickly uh, tell me a little bit about – because we have a lot of, of folks that are interested in the auto loan market. What does this all imply for what's going on in the loan market uh, in terms of quality, in terms of lending? It's It's been – excellent right i mean
1: oh yeah this has been the best time to be lending the the banks missed out finance captive finance eight market share up lending like crazy growing at seven percent per year as the delinquency rates just came sinking to all-time lows and i mean that you have a combination of you don't have to pay your student debt you don't have to pay your mortgage well i'll go pay my car loan because i'm getting unemployment insurance even if i don't have a job and so everyone's paying off their car loans and it, it's a great time. And those people that even face hardship and don't want to get accommodations and they go and say, Oh, I could just go sell my car for even more than my loan is because used vehicle prices are so high right now. So it's, it's a great time to be a lender last year and get out there and, and make those loans. But as prices come up, I mean, you, you think that the opposite side of the coin would be right around the corner. So if I'm lending right now and vehicle prices are, say even 20% higher than they're going to be at the end of the year or used vehicle prices. If you make a used vehicle loan, then that loan's going to be underwater uh, very quickly. And so if at once, as soon as that person faces a hardship, they can't go and sell the vehicle and pay off their loan and your collateral is worth a lot less than it was. So losses become a lot higher.
2: Have you seen more or less subprime lending?
1: Uh, Much less subprime lending. Everyone got much more conservative as the pandemic hit and they've remained there.
0: So, so our, our, bottom line, the, the outlook here for lenders looks good.
1: I mean, The quality of the loans looks very good. How much of that is credit score migration is another story.
0: No, but wow. don't, not going too deep into the weeds. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, we're going to have more jobs. We're going to have lower unemployment. We have high vehicle prices. We have good underwriting. The market's solid. We're, you, you expect $17.2 million a, a year. It feels like a pretty sanguine kind of backdrop for the for lenders
1: right now yes no? but there's a lot of risk in these high prices that's all i was trying to
0: oh say. i see what you're saying so if they come way down you might get somebody might get caught yes depending on the lending that they're doing everything's okay,
1: great right now but there's yeah. more risk than there was six months ago okay got it
0: because because prices have gone it's like a housing market they've gone straight up so if you buy a home or a car at these prices and then they crater <clears throat> and you have a disruption to your income you might have a problem. Correct. will undermine a problem.
2: He's calling top.
0: You're calling on top. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> hey, so, uh, you know, the other thing, nice, interesting thing about the vehicle market is technology. There's just so much stuff going on, uh, electric vehicles and driverless cars. And I'm sure there's stuff I don't, cause I'm not, you know, really into cars. I don't really know. what I'm sure you, you have many anecdotes uh, to tell us about the vehicle market, but, uh, what 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 is what do you want to tell us about about these new technologies? Uh, how how are you thinking about them? How do they enter into uh, your uh, perspective on the on the market, the vehicle market?
1: So electric vehicles are here. I mean, this is the year electric vehicles uh, really break through. I know U.S. was only two percent of the total sales last year, but in the whole world, it's almost five percent of total sales this year, and you have all of these. OEMs coming out with new models. They've bought in. uh, California is saying you're not allowed to sell any uh, internal combustion engines by 2035. You have other countries that are saying this as well. And so the manufacturers are buying into electric vehicles. The the tables have turned. Consumers are starting to buy in because they see that, oh, people have Teslas, people have uh, electric Mustangs and you have electric F 150s, the highest selling make model out there. And I, I think this is a, a turning point for electric vehicles.
0: Hmm. So, what percent of vehicle sales uh, will be EVs? I guess, what was it in 2020 or 20? What do you think it's going to be in 2021? What is
1: the percentage? 2021, uh, in the US, I'd say it's closer to 4%.
0: 4%. And, and what do you think it is 10 years from now?
1: I'd say it's depending on, it's highly dependent on political subsidies. So subsidies for the vehicles, if you buy a Tesla or a GM, you're not getting any subsidies towards that right now because they've maxed out their cap. They they don't get any subsidies anymore. You're only allowed to sell 200,000 electric vehicles. Other other companies, you get a $7,500 credit on your taxes. So that's a pretty big chunk of change that you can get for buying an electric vehicle from another brand. Uh, but so if Biden is able to pass his Build Back Better plan, uh, I don't know the specifics in there for each car, but if subsidies are able to be in place for charging as well as uh, purchases of vehicle, I could see in 10 years more than 25% of vehicles, 30% of vehicles being battery electric.
0: That that feels like a game changer, doesn't it? I mean, in terms of the uh, energy, climate change, uh, uh, ramifications of that. That that feels like a big deal. Do I have that right?
1: Agreed. Yeah. All of the climate scenarios that come out from NGFS, they assume by 2050 there won't be any ICE sold. The the National national Greening Financial financial system. System.
0: Yeah. Right. The folks that right now people are using for scenario construction so okay uh so you think this is this is in in train now this is happening and how fast it all happens depends on what policymakers do or don't do uh with regard to the subsidies
1: correct okay it's it's a good time to start a charging station business
0: yeah and it, it anecdotally do you see uh the charging stations. When you drive around, I, I don't see them, but I'm not looking for them.
1: I see electric cars. I see a lot of electric cars. Places. I see charging stations at malls. So you go over to by your King of Prussia mall. There's charging stations right over there by the Dicks. Uh, you have uh, charging stations. Uh, you go down to Delaware. That there's the the big um, rest stop there. When you get off 95, mm. and there's 20 charging stations there. So mm. they're 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 coming.
0: Ryan, do you have an EV? Are you going to, are you thinking about getting an EV? My
3: wife, my wife wants to get one. But, but you don't? A, few, a few years down the road. No, I want yeah. to get one. Why? Because you haven't driven
0: enough, to Mike's point, and therefore you have to drive more before you trade in your car? Is that what's going on? Don't tell me that that's what's going on.
3: No, we need to get a really – I have three little kids. So, you know, <laughs> the bigger the SUV – there's not a big enough SUV out there. Like, coming down the shore, we had to take both cars. Oh, you did? Yeah. One car was just packed with stuff for the beach. Like it, that's how much stuff.
0: I, I remember those had. days. I, yeah. I I put a bubble, one of these big bubbles, on top of my. What did I have? I had a Windstar. Remember the Windstars? You mm-hmm. know, Ford Windstar? I got by, by. the way, I have a really great anecdote around the Windstar, but I'll have, that'll have to wait because it's getting a little long in the tooth here. But oh, Chris, what about you? Are you are you in the thinking about an EV? Are you
2: not anytime soon? You you buy Italian cars? Much. You
0: buy these little whatever they are, and they. You know, they shake and they do all this kind of stuff, and they. have got style.
2: They've got class. They got
0: style. They got style.
3: (laughs) Chris prefers to drive to the office in his Vespa.
2: (laughs) You guys have a
3: very. uh,
0: I wasn't wrong. He has a Vespa. uh,
2: No, no. (laughs) Looking for one electric, but uh, you know, oh, is that right? I have to wait. No,
0: kidding. Okay, real quick, Mike. How do we? How do you think about driverless cars? I mean, that feels like that could be. That could upset all kinds of things we were just talking about in terms of sales, prices, all kinds of stuff.
1: That would be is that, is game. That, around, that would be game changing. Uh, okay. It's not worked into any of our models. It's not seen in the nearer medium term, but by 2030 we could have multiple cities with uh, the robo taxis. Uh, we already have Phoenix that has a system set up. Um, the real technological challenges come from weather. I think that's a large portion you can't it's tough to drive or see in the snow as a person how's the radar going to detect what's going on around yeah. you
3: yeah oh so mark next cool. time you're in phoenix yeah the conference yeah a robo taxi pulls up are you getting in
0: is, is that actually happening if i go if i get it is,
1: uh, is that if i you go need, to Phoenix? you need a membership but no, really? theoretically you could sign up beforehand and then
0: would i get in would i get in yeah i get i get in because i just just for the experience yeah i'd get in yeah.
2: Don't they I, still I guess, have a like a safety driver? There's,
1: there's uh, still a safety driver there. It yeah. Feels like an Uber. Car car. Yeah.
0: Oh, there is a safety driver, a real Someone person
2: who can, who can pull the brake. Or...
0: Oh, I see. Okay. What what you wouldn't, Ryan? Is that what you're saying? You wouldn't get into the car? Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Maybe maybe I'd wait. But it's Phoenix,
1: you know. You're not anyway. walking, it's too hot. It's, yeah.
0: Right. Um, well, very good. Any anything else that I should we should be thinking about, Mike, on the vehicle front? Or we we kind of covered a lot of land there. Uh, any, anything else we should be thinking about? Uh, no. no, I think we covered a lot. Okay, okay good. Very good. Well, uh, you know, the, for me, the vehicle market. I love the vehicle market because it's uh, a a poster child for uh, the economy, for the for markets broadly, uh, and uh, it. It highlights currently, and you, you heard the debate between Mike and I about this, it kind of highlights the uncertainty we have regarding the economic outlook. I, I say we're very, I'm very confident the outlook is strong. It's good. We're headed in the right direction. We're going to see a lot of jobs unemployment's is going to decline. But uh, I think it's a fair debate whether we. it's even stronger than we're expecting or it's a lot weaker. And that, whether whether it's stronger or weaker depends on, of course, many things, but really depends on uh, the the kind of debate we just had around the vehicle market. You know, is it going to be 17.2, 17.6, 18.0, something less than that, that goes to, you know, uh, how big of impact will the chip shortage have, you know, how much pent up demand is there actually out there? What are lenders going to do? Uh, so it, you know, just nicely highlights all of the, things that have to go into our thinking around the economic outlook and the forecast and the uncertainty that's involved. thats you know, especially, you know, high now, just because because of the very unusual circumstances we've been through and still going through. So uh, we'll see. Um, and uh, I don't know how many bets I have outstanding at this point, but it feels like they're starting to mount here, but fortunately they're, they're dollar bets. I will say I am, um, it's a bit of an advertisement. I'm going to be on the paychecks podcast uh, i think it's released on june 15th uh that's uh managed by uh, gene marks a very good uh investment in- manager and um uh, personality and uh, was, i really enjoyed that uh, podcast so please uh, tune into that and uh we've got uh i, I was kind of joking about the uh, tr- uh stump the stump the sweet. um But uh, I was only half joking. So we've got some changes we're we're plotting here at Inside Economics, and uh, we'll let you know more about those uh, in subsequent podcasts. So with that, uh, we'll call it a podcast. Thank you. Take care. Have a great week. Uh, Talk to you next week.